This is Asha Voices. I'm JD Gray. What have we learned from the first year of over-the-counter hearing aids availability? Today on the podcast, we're having a conversation about these devices. I'll be joined by a panel of audiologists with distinct perspectives on OTC hearing aids, informed by their professional experience. We discuss uptake of the devices, patient satisfaction, and common misconceptions, and hear what our guests hope year two and beyond might hold for these devices. I'm JD Gray. This is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Get unlimited access to ASHA's catalog of CE courses for one annual fee. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. October 17th marks one year since over-the-counter hearing aids have been made available. An event marked by anticipation and apprehension now the devices are on the market, they're on the shelves, and the early results are in. We have some data to indicate how consumers have adopted them or perhaps left them on the shelves in some cases. According to ASHA poll data collected between June and July 2023, published last month, quote, only 2% of American adults ages 40 and up who have hearing difficulties reported that they have purchased them, the over-the-counter hearing aids. And only 4% reported that they are likely to purchase OTCs in the next year, end quote. We're going to dive a bit deeper into the conversation, reflecting on the first year of OTC hearing aids with three audiologists, Director of Clinical Audiology at Massachusetts Eye and Ear, Megan Reed, from the University of Colorado, Professor of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery at University of Colorado School of Medicine, and Director of Audiology at the University of Colorado Hospital, Vinaya Minchaya, and an Associate Director of Audiology Practices at ASHA, Lindsay Creed. Lindsay had a hand in drafting the poll that I mentioned earlier, and she'll be able to speak more about what we've learned throughout this episode. Megan, Vinaya, and Lindsay, welcome to ASHA Voices. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, JD. Thank you. So we're nearly one year in, and I'm going to start broadly. How does this first year of OTC hearing aids availability compare to what you expected? Megan, maybe you'd like to start us out. Yeah, it's been an interesting year. I think a lot of time has been spent on educating the public and getting them more knowledgeable about these devices as an option. I think I've been surprised over the course of this year that there has been not a a lower level of engagement with over-the-counter devices than I would have anticipated, but it's been a good year. One of the things I am finding and have found over the past year is that individuals are still seeking out audiologist opinion. Even when they are interested in over-the-counter devices, they are still nervous and scared about choosing the wrong device for them and still oftentimes seek out audiologist opinion about what might be a good option or a good device for them. Have you seen people bring in these devices at Massachusetts Eye and Ear? We have a low volume of patients bringing in the devices that were purchased elsewhere, but we are selling over-the-counter devices. We had begun selling personal sound amplifiers a number of years ago and began to incorporate the sale of over-the-counter devices this past year. And we are selling these devices. Patients are interested in them. It's still only about 1% of our overall volume of device sales, which with personal sound amplifiers, it was about 3% of our patient volume. So it is a relatively low volume, but yes, we are seeing people interested in purchasing them. I'm going to ask you more about 
kind of public reaction in a moment. Vinaya, does the small uptake surprise you? No, it's not surprising. I think it's expected that, you know, it'll take a really long time for, you know, OTCs to do what we anticipated, you know, that is to kind of change the the landscape of hearing care. Uh, Just to add a few things to, you know, what Megan said, I think uh, it's interesting to look at what has happened from different perspectives. So from researchers' perspective, from, you know, professional bodies, media and consumers, and I think there was a lot of excitement about over-the-counter hearing aids. And uh, there was a fair amount of media coverage, you know, provision of information, things like that. But uh, I also uh, practice clinically, and we have not seen uh, much of a demand from our existing patients, you know, who actually come to the clinic. Okay, I mean, it is likely that these are different group of patients who are seeking help uh, with professionals directly than the consumers who would purchase these devices either in the store or online. But it seems like for clinical audiology, it's at least from where I am, it's business as usual. But quite a few things have happened, you know, with with OTCs. Part of this conversation before they were launched was both the use of the devices, but it was also, will this have an influence on public perception of hearing health? And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on the episode. I kind of want to hear a little bit more about what you're hearing from patients, from people who are coming into the clinic What's been working? What's not working with OTC hearing aids? How is patient satisfaction related to these devices? Megan? I would say, you know, we can look at patient satisfaction in in a number of ways. When we started selling PSAPs, one of the things we found it was challenging was to get outcome measures or, you know, subjective outcome measures from individuals who purchase these devices because they don't always and often return for support and care. But and as, as many as people who purchase can prescription hearing aids. But those individuals who do, we've certainly had individuals who come in and need a level of support. And what we found, those individuals who need more support with these devices is generally those who need help with programming them or getting them set up and activated. In terms of sound quality and function, the return rate is a little bit higher than it is for prescription hearing aids. At this point in time, our return rate is about 17%. So if individuals are not returning for follow-up to get objective measures of their benefit, we have to look at that return rate as a sign of how satisfied they are with them. And compared to prescriptive devices, it's, it's a little bit higher. That's interesting. Vinaya, similar, what do you see? So our interaction with OTC hearing aid users is not in the clinic. You know, we have fairly limited number of people with OTC's devices coming into the clinic for additional help. But we are doing a fair number of research projects and, you know, mainly longitudinal clinical trials, measuring hearing health outcomes in four different domains, fitting people with OTC hearing aids or or have them self-fit these devices on their own, and then measuring self-reported outcomes, cognitive outcomes, behavioral outcomes, meaning speech in quiet and speech in noise, and also measuring uh, electrophysiological outcomes to see if there is a cortical reversal. But in terms of their experience, I think we have uh, some users in the study who are super happy. You know, they're very, uh, they they have the ability to kind of self-fit, manage, troubleshooting the devices and are really happy with what they have. Whereas other users are really struggling. There is not a whole lot of uh, comments about the sound quality per se but more about how to set up the device, you know, how to troubleshoot these things. 
I think one thing that we learned from this is that we have very limited knowledge about, you know, who is the right candidate for over-the-counter hearing aids. And of course, you know, almost anybody with mild to moderate perceived hearing loss or disability could be a candidate. But we all know that people have different needs, you know, patients have different needs. And uh, considering additional needs that people may need, you know, who would serve as a good candidate? You know, that is something that we don't have a good knowledge about. Lindsay, with the ASHA poll data, was there anything in there that indicated if the public has an understanding whether or not they are good candidates for over-the-counter hearing aids? Yeah, that's a good question. So in general, compared to a poll that we fielded in 2021, general awareness of over-the-counter hearing aids has increased in the adult population in the United States, but there's still a lot of common misperceptions around them. People were unsure exactly what degrees of hearing loss they were for. 19% of respondents still believed that OTC hearing aids were appropriate for children, which we know, of course, is not to be true. And it's sort of alarming that that many people still believe that. So while I think awareness is increasing, there are still a number of misperceptions floating around out there. And we really need to increase our consumer education efforts. I wanted to speak a little bit to the return rates because, you know, it was interesting to hear that Megan said they're seeing about 17%. Anecdotally, we're hearing from manufacturers that the return rates are also higher than for prescription hearing aids, somewhere around 30 to 50%. And that's what we were seeing from our poll as well, in that those individuals that had purchased an OTC hearing aid in the last six months, about 50% were satisfied with their purchase. We are seeing that that satisfaction is a little lower than with the traditional devices, perhaps due to professional support. Lindsay, you mentioned misconceptions, and it made me think, I think there's another misconception, I believe this showed up in the poll as well, that these devices are often being equated with reading glasses. You're right. So 44% of adults surveyed thought that OTC hearing aids were equivalent to reading glasses, which is often not true. Certain types of losses that may be like a conductive hearing loss that may be closer to true, but most age-related hearing losses or sensory neural hearing losses with damage to the sensory system, hearing aids don't work the same as just over-the-counter readers. And there's a lot that goes into the evaluation fitting and rehabilitation process when it comes to a hearing aid. The fact that about 50%, just shy of 50% of adults still think that that is equivalent is something we need to work to better educate the public on. Mm -hmm. Megan, you mentioned that you sell PSAPs and over-the-counter hearing aids and prescription hearing aids. Do you find confusion among patients related to those three devices? Well, our volume of PSAPs is is very small right now. And the only PSAP that we are selling at this point in time or distributing at this point in time is a very basic amplifier for individuals who need very simple straight amplification, perhaps like inpatients in a hospital. So that volume is very low. But yes, I do believe people still don't fully understand the difference between a personal sound amplifier that are still commercially available and what a over-the-counter hearing aid is. And when we talk with patients and counsel patients about over-the-counter devices, as I mentioned before, they still very much want our input and our guidance on what an appropriate device is. To Vinaya's point, the perhaps the people who are coming into the clinic are not people who are naturally predisposed to feeling comfortable for exploring devices on their own. But the individuals we see in the clinic 
are seeking input because they don't fully understand the differences or what the best options are for them. Vinaya, anything else related to misconceptions or confusion around these new devices? I think there is a still a fair amount of misconception, uh, especially differentiation between personal zone application uh, as well as over-the-counter hearing aids. And even in ASHA polls, we saw that you know a large number of people who purchased these devices purchased lower cost devices, you know, devices that are around $200 or so. So with OTCs, you know, as we know, there are two types of over-the-counter hearing aids, preset and self-fitting. And it seems like there are more self-fitting models in the market, which cost anywhere around $800 and up. There are less models of preset hearing aids, but the device with the lower cost are being sold in large numbers. And also, I think there, I don't have the data to show, but it is likely that some people who are reporting that they're purchasing OTCs are probably purchasing PSAPs because I know of no device that costs $50, but uh, I think there are a few people in the survey who also said they had devices of $50 uh, and they were uh, OTCs. So I think there is certainly some confusion with preset OTCs and PSAPs, yeah, in, in my opinion. Speaking of cost, it's making me think about hearing health and accessibility. Megan, you were a guest on the podcast in 2021 on the episode titled OTCs on the Horizon. We were looking predictively towards the release of the over-the-counter devices. At the time, you said, quote, I think there's a large need in terms of being able to provide better access and availability and affordability of devices. I do think it's going to shake up our profession, but I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, end quote. What do you know about whether or not people are getting the hearing care that they could benefit from. Lindsay, is this in the poll? Not directly. We do know that 86% of poll respondents indicated that they thought it was still important to receive a medical diagnosis from a professional prior to obtaining any sort of hearing assistive device. The majority of adults are not choosing to pursue this direct-to-consumer route without the recommendation of, say, an audiologist. But that wasn't something we asked Explicitly. I did find it interesting in the poll that although people, the majority still felt seeking a medical opinion was necessary, there was still a majority of people who had not sought a medical opinion. Yeah, I have uh, from the poll, uh, many Americans, uh, more than half of those polled say they have, quote, less than excellent hearing. But the number of been treated is far smaller. I think the data points to 8%. We know that there's often a gap between when hearing loss is noticed and when it's treated. And I think there was some hope that these devices might lessen that amount of time. But what I'm hearing is so far, maybe that's not gained traction. We asked reasons for not seeking professional help. And the top three reasons cited were not thinking the hearing loss was bad enough, feeling that it was not a priority and cost. Only 5% of respondents cited lack of access to professional help. But again, this is a small sample size compared to all of the adults in America that could potentially benefit from over-the-counter hearing aids. If you look at the market data, which is not public yet, this is like the average age of people who are purchasing OTC devices. It's usually 8 to 10 years younger than the population that we see in the clinic. So I think there's a big difference between a group of people who seek OTC devices, and then the professionally fit prescription devices. But what we don't know is if there was no OTC categories, you know, were they likely to come and see us in the clinic? Vinaya brings up a good point. We only surveyed adults 40 
and older. So I'm curious what that landscape looks like a little bit younger than that. Yeah, and then another thing to think about is in 2018, you know, I was interested in looking at what's happening in the PSAP landscape, and we extracted about 10,000 Amazon reviews and people who had purchased and left a commit in Amazon. So one interesting finding at that time was that a lot of these devices were purchased by significant others as a gift for their partners, their parents, you know, whatever. And I think a similar trend is happening with OTC hearing aids. You know, when we talk to the industry colleagues, it seems like a fairly large number of these devices are purchased by significant others. So I think there is certainly a difference in who is seeking what age group and between prescription and OTCs. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we discuss over-amplification and we look towards the future to ask what's next. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Earn ASHA CEUs and stay current with the ASHA Learning Pass by accessing ASHA's comprehensive catalog of CE courses for one convenient annual fee. Choose from more than 150 audiology-related courses. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. I just kind of want to ask broadly for each of you, the personal kind of professional level, you know, has your view of OTC hearing aids changed over the past year? Has it evolved at all? I can start. No, I don't think so. I wasn't expecting it to completely solve this nationwide problem of untreated hearing loss. I was hoping that it would result in slightly higher uptake, but I don't think we should write them off as a complete failure at this point. I think we're, you know, long-term data will really be helpful in analyzing their effect. And I'm still hopeful that over time, as innovation increases, some of the prices come down for these devices, and that makes them more accessible and affordable for individuals. But we've always really known that this was just one piece of the puzzle in terms of trying to get the message out about the importance of treating hearing loss and treating it early and making sure that treatment is affordable and accessible. So I'm still optimistic. I just think that there's still work to be done. I would second almost exactly what Lindsay said. I'm not surprised. It is a multifactorial issue. I I think to Lindsay's point, I, I had hoped that over the past year that price points might have come down a bit with some of the technology and the innovations that are happening. But I think it is a little too early to say that it's not a successful or not going to take off. I think there's still early into this realm of over-the-counter devices, and, and there's more to come and more to see. Renee, I know you've been doing some research. Is there anything we might compare these devices to as far as being able to be sold over-the-counter that might give us a lens to view the uptake? Okay, so I think two things here, you know, uh, before I talk a little bit about the update, I want I want to give you a quick summary of uh, some of the research that we're doing. My view have changed positively over the last year, uh, mainly because, you know, we had chance to uh, purchase a number of devices, you know, test them in the lab and also have users use them for up to six months, you know, which gives us a fairly good understanding of their outcomes. And uh, I've been positively surprised that OTCs, you know, if they're fit right and uh, if they're chosen to uh, the right candidate, uh, can bring positive outcomes. Fairly close to the outcomes that we get through professionally fit uh, prescription hearing aids. And we are also finding that there is a difference. Of course, professionally fit prescription hearing aids are uh, resulting in a slightly better outcome than uh, outcomes than OTCs, as anticipated. But OTC hearing aids have been uh, resulting in you know really good outcomes. 
there is still a fair amount of variability between devices. But a big outcome for me in the last year is what we had known for a really long time. That means device is only a part of the solution. I think there has been a huge emphasis on the device, you know, over-the-counter device, but a fairly little emphasis on the service delivery model. Okay, so when I say service delivery model, I think we need to think about different instances. For instance, what kind of information the potential users may need before they purchase. And how can we kind of facilitate their purchase decision? You know, can we have some kind of decision aids? And then also a fair amount of support needs to be provided after somebody has a device. Providing communication strategies, help them troubleshoot the issues, things like that. So I think the future effort should really focus on setting up appropriate service delivery model and less emphasis on the device. Now, coming back to the uptake, I mean, it's kind of premature for us to anticipate that uh, I think that everybody with hearing loss is going to have devices, right? So I think OTCs will definitely, in my opinion, shift to some degree how many people are uptaking the devices and using them, but it won't be everybody. I think, again, we need to think beyond the devices and create uh, different packages or different types of rehabilitation that are needed for different consumer groups. Is there anything that that we didn't talk about that you want to mention, things that you've seen, studied, heard about OTC devices? I think there is a fairly little emphasis on probably like, you know, negative side effects. You know, is there anything, uh, and if you don't have the right device, uh, you know, can the OTC's device do any harm? What we are finding is that, you know, there is a fairly little harm done by these uh, devices. In the early stages of OTC, there was a lot of speculation and a concern from the audiology professionals that, uh, you know, OTCs could have higher output and that could potentially damage consumers. But we're actually, in our studies, we are not really seeing much of a side effect using OTC hearing aids. Hearing aids tend to bring emotional responses. If people don't really like the sound quality or you know, if they're not really good, people just don't use it. That is in some way positive for us. That, that means there's a fairly little negative side effects from these devices. Did we learn anything about overamplification from the poll data, Lindsay? Yeah, we did. So 46% of respondents agree that you can damage your hearing if you overamplify an OTC device. So it's about 50-50 in terms of whether or not they think that you can do physical damage or harm from a device being too loud. In my mind, my biggest concern or potential negative consequence of OTC hearing aids would just be for those individuals that purchase them and may not be good candidates for them and don't have the results that they had desired going into it. I just don't want them to be deterred from seeking professional help. That's really my main concern with someone purchasing an OTC and not being satisfied with it. I think we still want to promote the message that there are audiologists, there are professionals out there that are experts in this area. And if you don't succeed with an OTC hearing aid, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful with treatment in general and to certainly follow up. I think to that end... What we've seen positively in the clinic is some individuals who have returned over-the-counter devices have then opted to move forward with prescriptive devices. Again, this is a population that is already seeking medical input and care as it stands, so it may be a different population from the general population, individuals who are purchasing over-the-counter devices, but I was optimistic in seeing that. Is there anything that you would share with audiologists, maybe in a different setting or different clinic that have concerns about including those devices in their sales? I think 
for people in audiologists and other settings, I think one of the biggest things is becoming comfortable and knowledgeable about these devices. There are a lot of different devices out there. And so I think one of the important items to consider if you want to sell or dispense these devices is finding the devices that you recommend that you think are going to be able to support your patient population in a positive manner. And as Vinaya said, and we've done the same thing, getting demos of these devices and testing them out and being comfortable with what these devices are able to do. And and you, you may be surprised at how well these devices are able to amplify and meet different prescriptive targets. Well, I was just going to ask if anyone wanted to kind of venture a guess at what might be ahead for these devices or for uh, anything we talked about in this conversation. What might we see in year two of OTC hearing aids? I'm hoping we'll see more general insurance coverage. And so whether that's OTC or prescriptive devices, that this might help initiate more insurances to provide a level of benefit and support services for audiologists. Yeah, I agree. I think there are two things here. One is there are insurance providers who are starting to think about making OTC hearing aids freely available, you know, without a copay. I think that kind of sets uh, the OTCs and prescription uh, hearing aids apart. And the second thing that we are seeing is when the OTC devices came into the market, the industry was not really ready for providing support. If you look at different manufacturers, some only provide the device. And few had uh, thought about providing additional customer slash clinical support. When I say customer support, that is mainly opportunity for consumers to kind of get in touch with them to troubleshoot the devices. When I say clinical support, usually it is done when the customer support cannot address the issues adequately and escalate the issues to clinical support. They connect the patients or consumers to an audiologist who provide necessary support remotely. So I think there are more and more companies starting to think about setting up this two-tire system for supporting consumers and are, and are becoming better over the course of time. Uh, you know, I think in the future, that is what we'll see in addition to devices getting better. We'll also hopefully see support system put in place and refined to better care for those who, who need these devices. I can say from an association standpoint, our goals over the next year line up with what Megan and Vinaya were just speaking to in really advocating for audiologists to be recognized by Medicare as practitioners and be able to provide our full scope of practice in being able to bill and be reimbursed for treatment services and just making sure that decision makers on Capitol Hill understand what goes into a successful hearing aid fitting and the importance of the rehabilitative services that audiologists offer. That's something that we're going to be really working on that lines up nicely with the OTC movement. Glad you mentioned that, Lindsay. Vinaya, Lindsay, Megan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All three of today's guests, along with a couple additional speakers, will be presenting on OTC hearing aids at the ASHA convention. Find the link to their presentation on the blog post for this episode at on.asha.org podcast. While you're there, you'll find a link to learn more about the recent ASHA poll we mentioned throughout this episode, and you'll find past episodes of the ASHA Voices podcast about OTC hearing aids, including conversations with a researcher using a mobile audiology clinic and an interprofessional team discussing how audiologists and pharmacists can work together. That's at on.asha.org 
slash podcast. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader Magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Access more than 150 audiology courses for one annual fee. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.